I bought, out of my allowance, and I asked my dad for some early allowance, I bought, out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog, a pair of shoulder pads, football shoulder pads, and I brought them in for show and tell. And people would look at them, and they'd ask you questions, and it would say something about you. And so show and tell wasn't as much a message or a sermon or long talking as much it was, I want you to see and touch kind of taste and feel a little bit. More about senses than just sentences, if you want to put it like that. Today, Jesus is going to do some show and tell in Matthew 26. And um, we do this once a month, actually. And this show and tell is what I think means the most to him, and it means the most to us. So if you can follow along with me, the title of this message is, Jesus has brought lamb's blood. That's what he's going to show and tell. And it's really all about the Passover, what the Passover means, and the elements of the Passover. And so we're going to start in verse uh, 17, but before we do, look at Matthew 26, 1 and 2. This is how the chapter set up. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, as we said last week, that was his public ministry. When he was done with his public ministry... He said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And so, on verse 17, it's two days later, and that's all he's going to talk about is the Passover in a show-and-tell sort of way, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. Verse 17, on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, so let me just tell you real quickly. The Passover for the Jew was like Easter for us. It was their festival. It was their holiday, their tradition that gave them identity. So the first month in the Jewish calendar is called Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. And on Nisan 14, the 14th day of Nisan, it was the day of Passover. And we'll explain that in a second. Then from the 15th to the 21st, you had seven days of the festival of unleavened bread, where they would eat unleavened bread, and they, it was a Sabbath week. They basically had vacation. So from the 14th to the 21st, the Jews knew that time as either the Passover or the festival of unleavened bread. So that's what this is talking about in verse 17. So on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and said, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed and prepared the Passover. So they found a place, which we call the upper room, where they prepared the Passover. Verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. 
It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So you could say this is stage one of the show and tell. And it's all about the Passover. We'll get to that in a second. Here's stage two, verse 27. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, you're probably very familiar with this. We do this every communion. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, said, this is my body. Took the cup after the supper and said, this cup is my blood, which is a new covenant. But in Matthew, that's all he says, because it's show and tell. Because in the mind of the Jewish listener, they understood what Passover was all about. We don't, really. Like, um, when you understand Passover, then it makes sense. So here's what I want you to do. Keep, keep your place here at Matthew 26, but we're going to spend a majority of time in Exodus chapter 12. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of Moses. Well, the second book, Exodus, is the whole story of... The freedom of Israel. They were 400 years, they were in slavery to Pharaoh. Pharaoh would not let them go. He had them making bricks, building pyramids and sphinxes. And they were under the whip and the lash. And they started crying out to God. 400 years, that's a long time. That's a lot longer in our country. And God heard their cries, and he said, all right, I'm going to send you a deliverer whose name was Moses. And so Moses came along to come to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, forget it. I'm not letting them go. Moses said, if you don't let them go, God is going to pour out wrath on you in the form of plagues. Oh, yeah, right, right, sure. What's he going to do? Well, turns water to blood sends frogs, sends flies, sends darkness, sends hail with fire. And all of these things were making Pharaoh harder. Like, you're not going to take your people out of here. So God says, all right, Moses, tell me is one more plague. And this plague's going to wreck him. And the plague is called the angel of death where the angel of death is going to kill every firstborn male, animal, and human. That's what we're going to talk about. And so you go to Exodus 12, and God says, there is a way out, though. There's a way to be saved. And here's how you're saved from the angel of death, or the wrath of God. Here's how you're saved. It's Exodus chapter 12. Watch what he says, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month. Remember I said that's the month of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. Tell the whole community of Israel 
that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. So the origins of Passover, first thing is you need to have a sacrificial man, sacrificial lamb. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. This is very interesting. We'll talk about this in a second. When all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, then they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they are to eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in the water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, in inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where Passover comes from. So, here's the second part. He talks about unleavened bread. You're leaving in haste. You have to eat bread that's unleavened. No yeast. Not puffed up. First, third thing is you have to put this blood. You, you capture the blood of the dead lamb in a bucket. You take that bucket, put some hyssop in it. Talk about that in a minute. Put in a door frames. It's a sign of faith in God's promise. And then the fourth thing is they are to do this in remembrance. Look at verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. So the Jews are supposed to do this every year. I remember working in Cleveland for this Jewish family. I was building a patio for them. And I can remember they had all these cars driving their house, and it was a big patio, so I was there for about two weeks. But for one whole week, every day, their family would drive into their house, and all they'd do is just sit in the living room and do nothing. I'm like, what's going on? What's the Feast of Unleavened Bread? For all week, they don't work. They just hang out with their family. That's what this is all about. So let's talk about it. Show and tell. Not much of a sermon, just stuff to see. The first thing we're going to talk about is the lamb. Here's how, here's how he described it. This is kind of interesting. Because when I was growing up, to be honest with you, I heard this phrase a lot. Jesus is the Lamb of God. You know, and I went to a very pious church where they'd say it like this. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And I didn't understand it. I kind of thought a lamb was kind of wimpy, you know. Jesus is a little wimpy animal. Mary had a little lamb. Her fleece is white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, his lamb was sure to go. I'm like, what is that? What kind of God is that? Honestly, is how my little mind worked. In fact, the church I went to said, if you really want stuff done, don't go to Jesus. Pray to his mom. Because Jesus is a lamb, little lamby. And then I started reading scripture, 
And I started understanding the Passover. And it blew me away. First thing is you get a little lamb. It's got to be one-year-old male without defect. Nothing wrong with it. They take this little lamb and they bring it into their house on the 10th day. And then they let it live with them in the house for four days. Or really three and a half because they kill it on the fourth day. Could you imagine being a kid saying, Mom, can I sleep with the little lamby? No, no. Can we name the lamb? No, you can't name the lamb. Why can't we name the lamb? Well, if you name the lamb, you'll get, attract, you know, you'll get kind of connected to the lamb. You can't kill, name the lamb. Why can't you name the lamb? Because dad's going to kill it in four days. Dad's going to kill the lamb. Why? What did the lamb do? Nothing. But somebody has to die, so we don't. This is the main theme in all the Bible. Somebody has to die, so we don't. To be set free, somebody's got to pay. To be forgiven, someone without blemish must die for those who are blemished. Did you know it says about Jesus in 1 Peter, he committed no sin. He was without defect. Oh. He's the lamb. Now here's where it really gets interesting. So according to what we read in Exodus 12, on the 14th day of Nisan, you are to slaughter the animal. It must be dead by the end of twilight because Sabbath is the next day. They're not allowed to work on Sabbath. The Jewish calendar is a lot different than ours. So our morning is when I wake up in the morning, and then when I go to bed at night, that's a day. But not for the Jews. The Jews' day starts at twilight. So that's when the sun goes down. That's when the day starts. When sun goes down the next day, that's when the day ends. Half of the day you're sleeping. You're asleep. But look at it like this. So you have Jesus died on Friday. However, they celebrated, they celebrated the Passover meal Friday night, which would really be our Thursday. Because twilight begins Thursday night. Friday really actually begins Thursday. I know it sounds kind of confusing, but here's what happened. In the Jewish mind, they would slaughter the animal in the afternoon of the end of Friday. Why is that important? Here's why. Thursday night was the last supper when they, pre they celebrated the Passover. It was still on Nisan 14. Jesus, they should have gone to bed, but Jesus went to trial with Pilate and all of that stuff. He then is brought before Pilate. They give him up. Jesus is slaughtered on Calvary when everybody was slaughtering their lambs for the Passover meal at the same time. Because he had to be taken off the cross before the Sabbath in the same way the lamb had to be cooked before the Sabbath. Why would, why would Jesus be dying the same time the lamb was being sacrificed? Because he's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Just one, uh, when we were reading Matthew 26, it's interesting, how would you like to be the dad who had to take that poor little lamb out of the house and slaughter it and put its blood in a bucket? 
sure your little kid's like, but dad, we had that lamb with us the whole time. You're betraying us. Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me and hand me over, and it was Judas. Jesus said, it's prophesied in scripture that one of you is going to betray me. The sovereignty of God, God's plan, was carried out by the decision of one man, Judas, and Jesus said, it would be better if that man never lived. Even though it was prophesied, it was acted upon in real time by human decisions. How sovereignty and free will work together. It's, it's crazy. So Jesus was the lamb. Let's talk about the bread. Bread and body. In the Seder, in the Seder meal, and that's the Passover meal, over the years they have called this unleavened bread the bread of affliction. It's called the bread of affliction because they eat it in its memory of the years of 400 years of slavery. And then they dip herbs into salt water. And the herbs taste bitter and the salt water tastes, tastes salty. And the reason why it's the bitterness of the pain of being under slavery in Egypt and the salt water are the tears that God heard to respond and send a deliverer. So it's the bread of affliction. They got to get out of there quick. Jesus says in Matthew 26, this is my body. So instead of the bread being the bread of affliction, Jesus becomes the afflicted one for us. He takes on our sorrow. He takes on our pain to wipe away our tears. The bread itself, you're not allowed to put yeast in it. No yeast. It cannot be puffed up. In the New Testament, yeast represents sin and pride. After a man is delivered, he's not allowed to have sin and pride in their life anymore. It doesn't become us to be puffed up anymore. We should be humble. Why? Because he died for us. should change our lives. And that's the point of the unleavened bread. It represents a new kind of life. A life without sin. So then you have the blood on the doorposts. I want to uh, have you just enter with me a second into Passover, because I want you to think about it, kind of like show and tell. I don't really want to explain it. I just want you to think about it. So Passover means the angel of death is passing over your house. And in order for him to pass over your house, blood needs to be displayed on the doorposts because the blood on the doorpost is a sign to the angel with a sword that you are believing in God's promise. So if you believe in God's promise, that angel passes over and you are delivered. And that's really what the whole idea of the Old Testament sacrifice, the Old Testament sacrifice means when he sees the blood, that blood covers you. You're covered. You're protected underneath that blood. Remember the first time I um, thought about the Passover was I was watching Charlton Heston on the Ten Commandments. Remember, the, you've ever seen the old Ten Commandments. The way they portray the angel of death is kind of hokey, actually. It's this green mist that floats in the city, and it seeps in the door. 
And it goes through the window, and it kind of curls over the window, and it floats in. And then if it goes into a house where there's no blood, and it goes on the foot of somebody that's a firstborn male, they just die like that. They just die. And it, man, it used to freak me out as a little kid when I'd see the fog coming in, and it come into town. I'm like, oh, man, I got to run. It's going to kill me. Then I remembered my brother's older than me. I'm fine. I'm safe. I'm in, man. Don's the sucker. No, I'm sorry. But, I'm, but you think about it, that's kind of like Hollywood. Could you imagine the real thing? So you have an avenging angel. Chris, Chris, come here one second. Come here, come here. Just stand right here. He goes, what's happening? I have a feeling, I have a feeling, he's twice his size. At least. And, he's, and he can fly in on a flyover houses and he's got a sword. Thank you. Give Chris a hand. But I once, <laughs> I once had both my sons, Joe and Gio, try to take Chris on with bugle sticks and wrestling and he tore him up. Could you, they, but the avenging angel comes into town and you're trying, imagine trying to hide from him in the alley and he comes around the corner and you see him. And he's got this sword. There's no chance. Could you imagine seeing your son sitting on a couch and all of a sudden you hear the rush of wings and you see a throat cut and blood spurt and he's off? This is morbid. But this is what God says. There's even a possibility. If you read Exodus 12 closely, God says he is the avenging angel. Could possibly be Jesus with a sword. Whatever it is, we need to consider this story carefully because God is not someone to be trifled with. There's a lot of people who hear me tell the story and go, oh, that's terrible. God is committing genocide. No, he's not. He's, com he's committing a fulfillment of his promise. If you sin, you die, and not one of us makes it out of this world alive. He kills us anyway. <laughs> What's the difference? What chance would a firstborn son have against the angel of death if he met him in a dark alley on Passover night? No chance. And it is my conviction, understanding the importance of salvation and how badly you need him to pass over is completely dependent on your fear of condemnation. I was talking to Trevor about this, Trevor Miller the other day, and he said, I really think one of the problems with our country and our culture is people don't think they deserve condemnation anymore. So if they don't deserve condemnation, why do they need Christ? If the angel of death isn't coming, why would I slaughter a lamb? But if he's coming, I better be covered. So this is where Jesus comes into place. So in the story when he's with the disciples, takes the bread and he says, this is my body. His body is the body of affliction. It's afflicted for you and me. Then he takes the blood. He said, this blood is my blood of a new covenant. It's my blood. And then he says, take it and drink. Instead of being covered, he's saying, basically, identify with it. Jesus didn't come to cover our sin. He came to satisfy it. His blood is brand new. The Old Testament blood was kind of like a credit card. I buy salvation, but it has to be paid later. 
Jesus' blood is the full payment that satisfies the wrath of God completely. So you look at it like this. Kind of explain it like this. God says you take that lamb. So this is a show and tell. God says take that lamb. So I take that little lamb, little fuzzy lamb, white lamb. Have you ever smelled like uh, wool? It smells so good. He cut the neck of the lamb and take the blood. So you have the blood in a bucket. So here's the bucket. You have two doorposts that go up like this and then a mantle over top of that. Could be wood, could be cement, stone. You're supposed to take hyssop. Hyssop is this plant that looks like a brush. You take a couple of them, tie them around, you got a stem there and it's bushy. You take hyssop, you put it in the bucket, swirl it around. You can probably hear the blood swishing on the side of the wood. Swirl it around. Then you go on one side, swirl it around, another side, swirl it around, and go over top. Here's how this relates to us. Jesus is the lamb whose blood was given to us. The way we, when we drink it, when we accept it by faith, hyssop is a representation of faith. It grabs the promise and places it on me. So when you believe Jesus came and died and rose again, it's as if you're grabbing hyssop and you're dipping it in. When you believe and the sign of belief, the image of belief is when I drink, it means I really believe it. When I believe, it's applied to my life. So then when God's wrath comes, it passes over me forever. The Passover was like the trailer to the future presentation of the crucifixion. The Passover was a shadow of the real event of the crucifixion. The Passover saved a nation on a day temporarily. The crucifixion saved the world eternally. That's what it's all about. And God's satisfied in his son. Look at Romans 3. Romans 3 is one of these verses that I would really encourage you to study, even memorize it. But Romans 3, 21 to 26, and it's all about the Passover. And it explains everything I did, but really in a condensed theological form. Listen to what it says in verse 21. It says, uh, verse, uh, Romans 3, 21. Now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. So a righteousness means... A standing in the sight of God where I'm passed over, I'm saved because he's pleased with me. It's a righteousness from God. He gave it to me. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses, nothing to do. Um, verse 21, this righteousness from God comes through faith. That's the hyssop. Faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So if I believe that, it's as if I dip that hyssop in the bucket of blood. That's what faith is. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everybody on the earth, this is a worldwide event, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You deserve the angel of death to show up in your living room. 
That's what that means. You can't accept salvation until you, until you accept condemnation. And then it says, and are justified freely by his grace. His grace is that blood. You know how that blood's in the bucket? And that lamb, you didn't deserve that lamb. God gave them to you. You didn't earn that lamb. God gave them to you. That's called grace. Jesus dying on a cross, you didn't deserve that. God gave that to you. That's grace. And then it says, freely by grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. In the same way the lamb was presented, Jesus was presented, he was the sacrifice that took our place of atonement, which means to make us holy. So wrath will pass over through faith in his blood. He did this. This is the interesting part. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So before he ever came, all of the sins that were committed, those that were covered by the blood, he gave forbearance to. That means it's kind of like he let them be paid by credit. They still weren't fully paid, though. That's where the rest comes in. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. Justice means he paid the penalty in full. And he did it in the present time. That means in the, on the cross. So to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So before Jesus came, if I had faith in the Old Testament law and I did the sacrifices, that blood covered me waiting for the actual payment and after Jesus died, those who have faith in him, that faith, like hyssop, applies the blood to my heart, and I am now forever saved. Show and tell. And now we are supposed to do this in remembrance. The song, And Can It Be, it's an old song, but it explains it perfectly. It says, And Can It Be. It's a, it's a statement of, I, I can't believe this. So, and can it be that I should gain, that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? That word interest means I have an investment. I am a, a, a shareholder. I'm a shareholder in the Savior's blood. Like, I'm identified in it. I can't believe it. And can it be? Died he for me. Jesus died for the one who caused his pain. For me whom him death pursued. So the avenging angel, which was pursuing me, he stood and he took the sword of the avenging angel across his neck for me. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, should die for me? Then it says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. The same way the Jews were in bondage for 400 years, those of us, before Jesus, are in bondage to our sin and nature's night, and we deserve condemnation. And then it says, mine eye diffused a quickening ray. So here's a guy in a dungeon. His eye sees this ray of light. Mine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My soul set free. I rose, I went forth, and I followed thee, or him. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? That's what the Passover is all about. 
The Jews were said to remember that for generations. We now remember the supper because it's the fulfillment of the shadow that the Passover was. That's Jesus' show and tell. Question is, have you ever grabbed hyssop by faith and accepted his payment for you forever? If not, then I'm not sure you believe that condemnation is real. Because it should terrify you. But if you do believe condemnation is real, he will pass over if you apply the gospel by faith. Have you ever?